welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to be part of our real estate family and learn commercial real estate investing from A to Z. I'll be sharing with you tips for real estate investing while being mentored by a few people with several years of experience so that you and I can make the least amount of mistakes as possible and succeed a lot faster. My goal is to keep things very straightforward because we are all busy and you are here to learn. With that, in the last episode, we learned a lot of really interesting tips on investing in hotels. And in this episode, we are going to interview Michael Flight. He is an expert retail real estate entrepreneur who has been active in commercial real estate over the last 34 years and has handled more than $500 million worth of real estate transactions. Michael and his partner formed Concordia Realty Corporation in 1990 which has grown into a premier boutique shopping center investment and redevelopment firm. Michael is a wealth of knowledge in the retail world, and we will be breaking down this interview into two parts. In this first part, we'll learn how did he get into real estate, what was his first deal like, what has been the best deal of his career, and we'll touch a little bit around a not-so-talked-about topic, how to deal with political risks in the city that you invest in. Here we go. Michael, thank you so much for being here with us today. We initially met at a real estate investors cruise earlier this year, and you were the only retail investor there. We continued to learn about each other's world and I really admire you, what you stand for and how you grew your business. So why don't we get started and learn a little bit more about you and how you got into real estate. Hi Stephanie, how you doing today? I really appreciate the opportunity to come on your show. I've um, listened to a, a number of the podcasts and uh, really you're doing just doing a great job. I think it's really good for somebody that's interested in learning about commercial real estate as a, as a beginner. You've uh, really covered some good stuff. And I've actually even suggested to my two boys who are close to their 20s that uh, they might want to listen to them just for some background in commercial real estate. I hope that they listen to their father. I don't uh, know how old they, they are. <laughs> You met one on the cruise that I tried to <laughs> nudge I tried to nudge him towards you so that uh he would hear some of the same things that I was saying from somebody else because what I found out is that uh they'll probably accept advice from a bum on the street before they accept advice from their father. Well, hopefully in 10 years it'll get better. It's getting better with the older one. So, how did you get into real estate? I was going to college and I thought I initially wanted to be a uh Lutheran pastor. And then uh, Greek and Hebrew were a sign from God that I probably should not be a Lutheran pastor. So I was casting around to, to see what I really wanted to do. And I thought I'd go into business. And my older brother and I decided to go to, at the time, there was these 
nothing down seminars where they taught you how to buy real estate with no money down and no credit and anything else. And that pretty much fit us because uh, he had just graduated from college and I was still in college. So we went to the uh, seminar and, you know, we're all excited to go out and do this. The first broker that we walked into and said, we want to buy some stuff and this is how we're going to do it. And the guy said, that really doesn't work. (laughs) So Why not? Um, you said you couldn't get qualified for credit. I don't know if the techniques actually worked or not. We really didn't follow. I ended up taking classes from the local community college on real estate and real estate and investment. And I got a job rehabbing apartment buildings with a um, local real estate investor. And he really taught me how to buy apartment buildings and um, upgrade the tenants as they turn over and do that type of thing. And so that's the kind of the route that I got into real estate eventually. And my brother and I ended up buying a three flat. So that was my route into real estate. And I've been doing it since about 1984, 85. Wow. You have a ton of experience and you have seen it all. Almost it all. I I can't say I've seen it all. (laughs) I've seen a lot of the ugly parts of it and uh, some really great parts of it. After this first deal, what happened next and how did you grow into the retail world? My brother and I bought a three flat. And we learned all about the negative and the the downside of buying real estate because the guy that sold it to us was a tenant in there. And so he left. And then as soon as we took over the property and we showed up the first day, the uh, tenant on the top floor said he was moving out because he was a Polish guy. They were a young couple. And he was worried that two young guys around his wife, she would start cheating on him. So they just moved out, you know, just overnight. Lovely. So so the only income that we had on this property was the lowest paying tenant in the basement. We learned all about kicking tenants out, deadbeat tenants, and the entire gamut of real estate ownership. It was a little microcosm. That was definitely my master's degree in real estate from the School of Hard Knocks. How did you survive that? My wife and I got married. We needed a place to live. We were trying to sell it and weren't successful. And neither my brother or I had the time to really put into to redoing it. So I said, I'll move into it because I'm over there. I, I'll have to fix it because I'll be living there. We got it fixed up, turned around and sold it. And the guy that, that we hired as a broker was a guy that was slightly younger than me, but a really aggressive guy. And he ended up being my partner in a hundred plus fix and flip deals. We also did a few condo projects together and we did a workout for a hedge fund for a condo project. So it ended up being a a long-term lasting relationship out of that first initial uh, sale that he did for us. I love those stories, growing together and helping each other. I just spoke with them this morning. That's great. (laughs) After that first deal, what happens next? My last year, year and a half in college, I was working for a gentleman called Merrill Becker. And Merrill was an ex-lieutenant colonel in the Army, and he owned a number of different apartment buildings throughout the city of Chicago. He would buy B-class properties, and as the tenants rolled over, he would renovate the apartments and then get more rent out of them as he flipped them over. And so I was working for him. He taught me a ton about how to buy him, what to look for and all the rest of it. And when I was ready to graduate from college, I thought I was going to get a job with him. And he said, you know, I don't have 
the money or the payroll to put you on a job. He goes, I would recommend that you become a commercial real estate broker where you can learn more about investing, make some money, and then invest your funds that you make from your commissions. I went out and started looking into and interviewed with a number of the larger companies. And the larger companies didn't take me because I didn't have a degree in real estate. My degree was in sociology and psychology. It's actually uh, served me pretty well. And I decided that I was going to go into retail real estate because being a little bit lazy, I didn't want to keep cold calling industrial tenants or office tenants because you would call, cold call, cold call, cold call. Once you found a tenant that wanted to move, you moved them and then you would have to start over. And with retailers, if you got a tenant to go into one of the properties that you were repping and they weren't represented in the market, you could also get them in an exclusive representation agreement, especially in a market the size of Chicago, you could end up doing anywhere from six to 20 to 25 stores. And so that's what I ended up doing. And I ended up representing a few different tenants. And that's where I met my next employer, who was a large syndicator out of Philadelphia. And they had owned around 270 shopping centers nationwide. And so I Amazing. went to work for them as a leasing agent. And then at what point did you decide, oh, this is great money. How do I get into this? And I was making very good money for the syndicator. I worked for them for about a year and a half, right around 1989 to 1990. There was a thing called the savings and loan crisis and the um, economy went into a recession. There was all these foreclosures and all kinds of other stuff. And they had also changed the tax laws so that syndicators back in the 1970s, 1980s did all these syndication deals based on taxes alone. And the majority of them didn't even make money. They were just there for doctors because at the time, before they changed the tax laws in the mid 1980s, I think the highest tax rate got up to like, you know, 70 to 90%. Yeah. So there was all kinds of crazy deals. The company was called National Property Analyst. I had one deal in Southern Illinois that had four loans on it. There was like the regular loan, and then there was like three wraps on the initial loan. And they would just stack up debt, and they would do all kinds of crazy things just to get accelerated depreciation and everything like that. But the recession came, and they laid off everybody because they made all their money buying properties and they made huge acquisition fees and all the rest of it. Once that pipeline dried up, industry-wide, all the developers, I mean, everybody throughout the country was just laying people off. And so the buzz phrase at the time was stay alive till 95. I was friends with a guy who worked for another mall company and he had been laid off too. Right around the same time, I had started the company, you know, I was just living at home. So I worked out of my mom's basement. He and I started a company in 1990 and we just got like 500 square feet or less than 500 square feet in the attic of a um, office building in Oak Park, Illinois. And to defer some of the costs, we subleased it to a friend of mine that had started a uh, computer company. They were making all kinds of money. We actually had to work a job delivering uh, papers in the morning and then come to work and work. In 1990, we were doing workouts for institutional investors. So the company that I worked for, National Property Analyst, there was probably four guys 
that all went into different companies. And so one guy that I knew that was an asset manager there and worked with institutional investors at that company got a job with Aegon Insurance. He needed somebody to do some stuff in the Midwest for him. So we started managing and leasing their projects and eventually joint ventured with them on one or two deals. And then there was another guy that went to work for a real estate investment trust. And we did a few workouts for him on two of their properties. And then another friend of mine ended up working for a pension fund consortium based out of Holland. It was called Sarah Creek Properties. They were publicly traded in Holland and they had bought a bunch of properties in the United States. And we redeveloped a few malls for them. Eventually they dissolved that company and morphed into Merchant Equity Partners. And all throughout the 90s, up until about three years ago, they were our, our major joint venture partner. They would get the institutional investors and we'd either find the deals, but we'd be their deal operator. And with them, we joint ventured with Soros funds. We joint ventured with Westbrook partners, which are major hedge funds. And we did joint ventured with a few other hedge funds and a few pension fund advisors and in, in one insurance company. And that really worked out great up until uh, my friend Jeff went in for an elective procedure and passed away on the operating table. Their company closed it down. Well, I'm so sorry to hear that. You know, that's life. So it is. It was too bad because he was a great guy. I could tell you just some of the craziest stories. Him and his partner, John Mannix. John is still around. They were just a lot of fun. They were some of the craziest guys in the world. Jeff especially was larger than life. So. Oh, that's awesome. It's a nice way to honor your friend. Let's talk about your best deal, and then we'll talk about your worst deal. There's a few best deals. There's one deal that um, we're still working on. We started out managing it in 1990, and we've redeveloped it three times now. We've expanded or renewed most of the tenants in the shopping center. It's a 300,000 square foot shopping center. Wow. in suburban Chicago. We've actually torn down and rebuilt probably like 45% of the shopping center. We took a Walgreens that was doing phenomenal volume and moved them to an out parcel that was just vacant, you know, parking lot. Over the years, the managing partner of that became partners with us on, on a few different projects that we've done. That's just been a great project for us. It's exposed us to a lot of things, not only with that, but geotechnical problems with soil stability. We've had to remove. I'm fairly certain that most of the environmental problems are corrected, but uh, Every time we stuck a shovel in the uh, dirt over there, you know, a new uh, underground storage tank would come up. And wow. uh, the other exciting thing was that was in two major motion pictures. The first one was Wayne's World as they're driving around in their cars, just rocking out to Queens, Bohemian Rhapsody. You can mm -hmm. see the art piece that we had in there, which was called the spindle. It was cars stacked up on a spike. The other picture was with Morgan Freeman and Angelina Jolie. It was the movie Wanted, and they um, blew up one of the stores that we were replacing anyway. So they were going out of business. So the grocery store, they used the interior of that and blew out the front of it, had two Dodge Vipers like screaming around in the parking lot. So, And we've also had a shopping center in Wayne, New Jersey, and it was a mall that was not a very successful mall. So it had a very attractive food court. 
And so the Sopranos would shoot there because they would know they wouldn't be disturbed and they wouldn't be disturbing anybody because there was not a whole lot of business being done in the mall. Is that profitable? Sometimes they pay really good. Like we've even got at the shopping center in Berwyn right now, there's a television show being filmed at the high school behind it. So we just make $1,000 a day just allowing them to stage in the back parking lot of the shopping center you know, when they're shooting. Sometimes it's okay. A lot of times it's more hassle than it's worth. And maybe permits even. We don't deal with any permits. All we do is this is our license. And a lot of times they'll have their license agreement. And so you'll have to change their license agreement or their location agreement. You need to make sure they have insurance. You need to make sure that all the rest of it is covered. But they do all the permits. And then most of the time, most municipalities want them shooting because they just bring a lot of people. It's just amazing how many people are associated with a film crew. And so those people not only are eating at the catering stuff, but a lot of times they'll go and grab a sandwich someplace else. A lot of municipalities like them because they're good economic development. Why was the 300,000 square feet center one of your best deals? Just that it continually gets better and better. And as tenants go out of business, we've been able to replace them with better tenants. We had a supermarket that took seven years to get the supermarket lease done and built. It was with a large company. They're called Meyer, and they're based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and they're a phenomenal company. They're, I think, the second or third largest private company in the United States. So we thought they were going to be an excellent um, supermarket in there, and they were 90,000 square feet. And it turned out that they really didn't merchandise well to the local economy. And then this is another thing that I think people really need to take a look at, especially if you're in California, New York, or New Jersey, is that, you know, you've got political risk. And so these guys only had four stores in Cook County, but Cook County decided that they were going to change their minimum wage way above the rest of the state and the surrounding states. And so Meyer was a unionized company. If they had to pay their workers in Cook County higher, then that would affect all the workers in their surrounding stores. So it would have actually ended up affecting the, their entire company. And then Cook County also passed the soda tax, which made stuff more expensive. And then the, the biggest problem is the real estate taxes there. You know, the average real estate taxes for shopping centers in the United States are anywhere from a dollar per square foot on up to, I would say, like $4 per square foot on the, the high side. Those are average. And the real estate taxes in this shopping center are $9.50 a square foot. And that's average in Cook County. So wow. they just made a decision after four years. It's like, this isn't going the way we wanted to. This is going to create a whole bunch of other problems in our business. So they closed all their stores in Cook County. We took about a year. We replaced them. Meyer was doing X amount of dollars in volume, which, you know, was okay for a supermarket. It's probably double what a normal supermarket is. But the guy that we replaced them with is a local retailer, and he's going to do double the volume that Meyer was doing. So we don't have a parking space in the shopping center anymore. It's doing so well, not only with Tony's, but We've got tenants in there that the shoe carnival is at the top of their chain. The Walgreens does uh, three times the national average of what a normal Walgreens does. The Marshalls is way above. And the Ross that we 
recently put in there is, is way above national average. It's just a good deal. And it's all because not only does it have a great location, but we've been able to merchandise it to orchestrate that those type of sales. That is really impressive. How did it feel to negotiate a lease with the first supermarket for seven years? And why would they take that long? <laughs> <laughs> they uh, initially were interested in it, and then they put a hold on doing things in that market. And so we started with another company, which was owned by Kroger. It was called Food for Less. The city did not want Food for Less in there because they wanted a higher-end grocer. And so we had to go back and restart the negotiations with the other guys and try to convince them to go in there. It takes a long time sometimes to, to do some of these deals. We're starting on a deal right now, and we're expecting that if we get the lease signed by June of next year, that that tenant will open up in time for Christmas. And so actually, we just had a, a Pet Supplies Plus store just open today. So it's their first day open. It's their soft opening. I just went over there on the way over here just to, to take a look at um, how they look. But that was a deal that took probably a year and a half, a year and three quarters. Congratulations. That sounds a lot more reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> it's still, like I say, we used to be able to do stuff where I could bring out a, a form lease. When I was working for the syndicator out of Philadelphia, We, I could just take a flight out to you know Ohio or something, show up with a form lease and a local tenant and say, sign here and here's your copy and thanks a lot. Here's the keys to the store. So... <laughs> It's a lot yeah. more complicated now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a ton of red lines. You briefly mentioned that the city wanted you to have a different tenant. Were you in California by any chance? Like no, we have run into that in a number of different uh, municipalities all over the country. It really depends on how strict their zoning laws are. It really depends on the individual city. So that's why if you're buying a shopping center, you're going to have to live with whatever is the political system in there. And so even if it's in a good state like Texas, it could be a difficult city. And so you just need to know about that in advance. No, we've had situations where um, we were doing a facade renovation on a property in, in Hamden, Connecticut, and it's right next to New Haven. And so most of the guys that were on the zoning board, probably three of them also taught in the architectural department of Yale University. So they all thought that they knew way better than the property owner what was needed for the shopping center. So we went in with plans and they actually redesigned a large majority of the plans. Fascinating. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> that's how much control they have over. Most of the time with a facade renovation, it doesn't require a zoning permit. So you would just go in for a building permit. But some of these municipalities have very strict zoning code, very strict signage code, very strict design code. And so they're into the minute details. Another thing that triggers some stuff is if the municipality and a lot more of them are getting it is traffic planners. And so if you decide to change any part of the parking lot, they'll get in there and tell you, well, you need to do this and you need to do that. And you need to do this in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. So you just have to be aware of some of the things that go into it. Slightly different than owning an apartment building, I guess, to say. <laughs> Slightly. They're more visible. And so cities take a more active interest in it. And 
a lot of times they generate sales taxes. So cities take a, a large interest in it as well because they're kind of your partner without putting any money into it. We will continue this amazing interview in the next episode and we'll cover a lot more interesting topics in the retail world as well. If you are learning from our podcast, I would really appreciate a review so we can continue to rank higher so other people can learn all the possibilities about commercial real estate investing. And also, now you can subscribe to our newsletter by clicking on our website link under show notes. And I will see you next time.